Welcome to the Perspectives with Catherine Toon podcast. All right. Well, hello, everybody. I have someone very near and dear for the first time on the podcast, and you, you squeezed me in in between everything else you got going on, John. Thank you. So welcome. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah. 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 So um, you've got so much going on. And for those of you who don't know John, this is going to be a real treat. And for those who do know John, this is going to be a real treat. But I thought I'd read a little bit of your bio for those of those who may not know you. You have you had like multiple choice. So I just picked one and hopefully it'll be the one you like. <laughs> okay. So it'll give a little something and then you can correct. So uh, John and uh-huh. Lily. Um have an amazing passion to spread the exuberant love and joy of the supernatural gospel of Jesus Christ. John is an internationally recognized author, speaker, and advocate of mystical Christianity with a ministry marked by creative miracles and unusual signs and wonders. They are at the forefront of a fresh renewal movement characterized by ecstatic joy and a recovery of the foundational preaching of the cross of grace. Their heart is to see the church and the world infused with its identity in Christ and a revelation of our union with him. So was that a good one to pick? <laughs> that that <laughs> one worked just fine. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yes. I also want to say that John and Lily, they also host even evangelism crusades, plant children's homes for orphans, and hold numerous outreaches for the poor. Uh, you've written five You've written more than this. You've written more than five books, but you've written, this has Cosmos. Six or seven. I don't, I, I, I lose count. I have a writing problem. <laughs> yes. Well, that's okay. So um, they're all amazing. I think the one maybe to highlight regarding this conversation, since we're going to talk about seamless union with Trinity would be the mystical union book, but there's so many yummy, you'll start and you'll want to keep on going with his book. So anyway. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So anyway, welcome, welcome. I'm excited. We're just going to have a fun time. Yeah, totally. I'm, I'm excited as well. I appreciate you having me on. Awesome. Awesome. So when did you start, let's, Percy, when did you start getting this revelation of this seamless union with God? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I like to tell people I, I probably experienced Mr. Grace before I had a theology for oh. grace. And so, uh, you know, I, I had just uh, just some really life changing experiences back in the renewal days in the '90s, and um, and that really um, exposed me to the, the presence of God. And you know, during the renewal days, it was all about the Father's love, which was radically different from sort of the Turner Burn legalistic Pentecostalism that I grew up with. You know, and uh, and it was yeah, totally, and it was really marked by by joy. And so, uh, you know, God's in a good mood. And so I, I experienced that love and that joy. Um, and it, and I did have quite a focus, um, early on also, I got, I got exposed to the mystics of the church, you know, uh, Thomas Merton and, uh, Teresa of Avila and, and John of the cross and, and these kind of people. And I know that that word mystic just, you know, freaks out a lot of evangelicals because they think you're talking about Ouija boards and Harry Potter and that kind of thing. So, uh, but but the gospel is a mystical message. If you want to take the mysticism out of the gospel, you, you're going to have to throw out the incarnation. You're going to have to throw out the miracles of Jesus. You're going to have to throw away the the um, the resurrection. Um, 
but but it, it's a mysticism that's that's rooted uh, not in speculation and just experience, but in the historical incarnation, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's our that's our foundation, right? But but it's something to be lived and experienced, and and um, not just talked about, right? So, um, I and so I I also had you know I was a bit of a, a flaming charismatic. And so uh, we had a lot of focus on miracles and the supernatural, sort of like you, you had in the bio there. I, I might have tweaked that a little bit um, since then, but, but I, I love miracles and, and I love all this. But um, as I started coming into a revelation of grace, I, I realized it, it's not about looking for an experience of a lifetime. It's about living a lifetime of experience. That, that we've been grafted into union with Jesus. And so, so often we, we started realizing that in the charismatic world, people were looking for these experiences as if God was over there somewhere or had to climb into the glory or get more of God. And it, it's like, how much more can you have than, than God himself in Christ? Right. And so we, we started coming to this understanding of, of union, um, and so it just changed the whole ball game for me, you know, getting out of this idea of separation or distance or uh, this sort of progressive sanctification of making yourself holy. And uh, no, sanctification is a person, uh, Paul says in First Corinthians one thirty, and 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 he is our righteousness. He and and, and um, all of a sudden, it was like we started realizing. Um, the glory of God is not over there somewhere. It's, it's laced within the ordinary of life. And we have all these, these ideas of separation that cause us to, to miss the forest for the trees. And it's like getting up in the morning and, and having your coffee or taking a walk or just, you know, uh, was Holy Spirit there maybe when you had a good conversation with your daughter on the way to school, right? So it's, I think it's in the mundane that we, we tend to miss the glory of God. A lot of the early church fathers, they they said the whole world is a bush blazing with the glory of God. Okay. Isaiah said the heaven and earth are full of his glory. Um, and what, we, what we're trying to do is, is try to make the glory come so often in the charismatic world. But it's really about coming into the awareness, the, the, the revelation of the glory, the knowledge, the God consciousness of the glory, that God's in Walmart of all places, you know. So, in Walmart, um, yes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> But even then, you know, somebody will write a book. Well, how to get the revelation of the glory, how to get the knowledge of the glory. But no, Paul says the the, the revelation of glory, the knowledge of his glory is in the person, in the face of Jesus Christ. And and that's where the incarnation is so important that that we were trying to become spiritual, but all the while God was becoming human. And so... uh, so this revelation of union just grabbed hold of us and it, it just, it just altered everything. It changed, changed everything. And, 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 and after a while we started realizing, wait a minute, this is what the early church taught the, the early church, the, the fathers and mothers of the church, they, they were focused on Christology. Who is Jesus? Because when you realize who Jesus is as the God man, you know, they're, they're talking about Christology, the, the hypostatic union, which, which is the union of God and humanity in the person of Jesus then all of a sudden, all of our attempts to bridge some imaginary gap are completely invalidated. He, he has he has stepped right into us. And uh, yeah, so that's I don't know. That's me rambling on how we came into this. But, it's, you know, sorry, there's a little bit of a delay. That's so huge because 
you know, when we're, when we're trying to bridge this gap, it's just toil, toil, toil. Either we're trying to become better as if we're not, as if, as if Jesus didn't do something on that cross, or we're trying to reach into another level of glory when it's all inside. And so we're constantly striving and toiling, and it's just always out of reach when we're one with it. And, uh, and, and I, I think, you know, in, in my journey, uh, getting out of that place of toil, this whole concept of being united, one with the one who adores us, right? Uh, right where we're at, uh, just stripped off so much striving, so much pressure, so much, so much ego, because then we start to get so sort of focused on, well, am I, how many miracles am I, you know, chalking out or uh, how holy am I or all these different things. And, you know, God has a lot to say about that. So that's just such a, it's, it, it is a revolutionary uh, I, a concept, reality, truth uh, that we get to partake of. So anyway, we'll keep on going. This is great. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that that's what the false self really is. You know, the, the old man, the false self, Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at what Paul's saying, he was a religionist, right? Like it, it, it's uh, it's it's trying to bridge that gap on our own, and and how much, you know, how much arrogance and hubris is that to think that I'm going to climb into God or reason myself into God? And it's uh, it's it's really the um, I was thinking this morning uh, as I was waking up, and I thought about the podcast today, and I just had this thought of uh, I've heard several monastic people say something, something along this line. I, I can't remember the exact quotes, but, but basically they talked about, you know, well, the sinners in the world, um, their, you know, worldliness as we think of it with their immorality or whatever, um, they're just dilettantes. He's like, when you come into the monastery, you, you, uh, unfortunately, that's where you really learn how to be a sinner because you're tempted more by the worst things like hubris, like self-righteousness, like the, the religious sins, you know, and, uh, and, and that's, that's, that's what Jesus was always hammering against. You know, he says it's, it's going to be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than for you religious guys. Right. So, wow. so that's always the temptation for us is to try to step in and do Jesus's job for him. And, um, you know, when that's where, you know, ideas like carrying our own cross so often we, 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 what we've done is substitute the cross of Christ for our own sort of self-deprecation. And there is a place of carrying your cross, but not in a sense of killing off your old self that, that he, he died to remove from us, to circumcise away from us. And so, um, it, you know, there's, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a whole different, it's a whole different thing, isn't it? It's, it's like, we, we, um, We've missed the one, the one important thing, which is that Jesus actually has something to do with this whole thing called Christianity. What a what a concept, and and has has something to do with the entire world, right? So, right, we may Absolutely. wear our labels, but this is all this is about the cosmos and every every person uh, that was that's a child of God, and that's humanity. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, you'd mentioned my, my book, Mystical Union. And, and back when I wrote that, I, I had uh, was really coming to this revelation that, you know, we were co-crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20, uh, Romans 6, the, we, we realize the old nature is gone. Um, you know, the old is gone, the new has come. Um, and it was right as we we're coming to that, we realized it wasn't, wasn't just like m- me because I became a Christian that the old is gone. 
but something happened on behalf of humanity. And that, that's what I, um, not to plug a book, but that's, that's what I, I uh, really was trying to layer in uh, my book, Cosmos Reborn, is that, that something has happened on behalf of the human race, that separation was always an illusion, that, that he's the one who sustains all things, including every person. And, and this is Paul's message. It's, it, you, can't, you can't look at Paul without seeing this cosmic scope of the work of Christ. It's, it's not, you know, that we walked up to the altar November 2nd, 1984, and Jesus magically jumped inside of me, right? It, it's like Paul's on the road to Damascus. He's going to slaughter Christian families. I mean, he was a bad dude, right? And then he gets knocked off his donkey. And this is what he says. He says, God, who called me from birth, chose to reveal his son within me. Now, now that throws a monkey wrench into the jihad mission, right? He's like, hang on a second, boys. Jesus is in here. Right. <laughs> and so faith is yeah, faith isn't getting us into Jesus. Faith is realizing he's been there the whole time, that we were associated with him from the foundation of the world. Chosen and one with him. So, right. So we're not yeah. saying a prayer to make it happen. We're awakening to a, a truth that's been true before the foundation of the world, which is really mind blowing. And then, you know, so, and it's kind of interesting because then you see this before the foundation of the world, this chosen in Christ joined in union, and then you're seeing the incarnation and you're seeing God walk it out in the flesh where we live, right? 2000 years ago. And how, what he accomplished with that, that we, that's not a punishment scenario, except for maybe us punishing him and him yielding to that, but, uh, but a, a scenario where he's entering into our humanity because he prizes it. Is that, is that fair? Is oh, that, yeah. yeah. It's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, we, we've really sort of divorced um, the incarnation from, from the work of the cross in so many ways. And we think, well, the incarnation, that's good for a, a once a year Christmas message, but that was just, that was just a setup for the cross. And um, th this is where the, the early patristics, the early church was, was really good on, on understanding it's the whole life of Jesus that is salvific. And um, actually, let me see, I, 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 I could grab, there's a, a great quote here. It's, um, uh, this is a guy named Robert Walker. Uh, he's he's talking about T.F. Torrance. T.F. Torrance was a great theologian who really hammered in on the importance of the incarnation, mm -hmm. the person of Jesus. Uh, like Because we think of salvation as being like a, a commodity, something God gives us, like a ticket to heaven that he gives to some, he withholds to others. But 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 Jesus Christ is salvation, right? In the incarnation, he is the glue that holds together God with our humanity. Um, so this is this is great. I, I love this quote. Uh, I, I have it here. Um, here's, here's what he says. He says, sinless though he was, Jesus assumed sinful flesh and humanity, the whole fallen nature of man, body, mind, and soul. For T.F. Torrance, theology has no option but to say this, since otherwise Jesus would not have reached us in our actual condition. He took on himself the sin of the world. And as Paul says, God made him to be sin 
who knew no sin. While the climax of this, as referred to by Paul, was on the cross, it has its beginning at Bethlehem. From the moment Jesus assumed flesh, he began to pay the price for our liberation. Our redemption began right away in the incarnation with Jesus's assumption of our sinful human nature. Jesus sanctified fallen flesh in taking on himself our fallen flesh, sinful as it was. Jesus did not sin, but sanctified our fallen humanity. In the second Adam, took on, he took on himself fallen Adamic humanity. By his life of obedience in it, undid its sin and restored it to fellowship with God. Living in sinful human nature, Jesus wrestles with it with strong crying and tears. And through his life of prayer and unbroken obedience to the Father, converts it back to him. He grows up in wisdom and knowledge of God, replacing the disobedience of Adam with his own human life of perfect righteousness. And in a life of increasing solidarity with sinners... Jesus enters more and more into their condition, taking their sin and sickness on himself in order to undo them by his purity and offer in exchange his own life and righteousness. So it's the whole human life of Jesus having this saving significance. And really, when you look at this, what, what he's saying here is that Jesus Christ is our conversion. He is the conversion of the human race in his own self which is a whole different paradigm of thinking in terms of insiders, outsiders, do something to get right with God. It's because we're already accepted, already loved, that forgiveness precedes repentance. This is the very thing that empowers our repentance, that changes us from the inside out. Uh, it's not that we've got to tidy everything up in order to be accepted by God. And so uh, I think the incarnation has been radically... Um, sidelined in modern, you know, evangelicalism. And that's why Christology is so important. Christology is, that's a big word, but it, it just means who is Jesus? It's the one question. Who do you say I am? He is the God man. So it's not about what Jesus did on the cross uh, is as important as that is, but it's also uh, who Jesus is. And he is our conversion. He is our transformation. He is our righteousness, our holiness, our perfection. He's the perfect image of the father, but he's also the perfect image of real humanity. And so when we look at him, we see who we really are. And that is, uh, that's, that's the gospel right there. <laughs> right there. Wow. Wow. And yeah, and that's so beautiful because if we're one with this person, right, we might want to know who we're one with. We might want to yeah. know of him, uh, you know, who he, who he is and, and what all that means and what is so interesting because this, this passion that drove before the passion of, of the cruise that just, I don't know if it drove or impelled out of love because yeah. he's unwilling to leave us in our fallen ways of being, leave humanity in, in, in ways that are actually not who we really are. Um, it, you know, it's this kind of stuff that makes you fall in love with him, you know, because oh, he's yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. He's so, it really is mind, mind blowing. Wow. Wow. So yeah. this is the only thing that, that brings true obedience because just external rules and regulations have no power to affect our heart. 
But the way that the, the lamb rules with a rod of iron is because he melts us from the inside out with self-sacrificial love. He gets down as a servant and washes our feet. And it's that 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 is the only thing that can transform the heart so that his reign is so embedded in us with that first love fire that there's no question once you taste and see that you would want anything less. Boy, that's, that's so true. Yeah. He's uh, it's, it's, it's so transformational. I mean, love, love transforms and love looks like something it looks well, obviously like a person on a cross who's taking on all of that, but even just, I think it's fascinating bringing out this, the entire journey as the incarnate Christ is all part of that love. And then father in Christ, Holy spirit, you know, they're all one, they travel in a pack um, reconciling the whole world while we're, you know, waving the flying finger at him, you know? And so it's, it's amazing how, how that stirs the heart, you know, when, when we know, we, we, we know those, the rebelliousness or whatever, maybe hypocrisy or what, whatever the deal is, we, we, you know, we know, hopefully we know sometimes we're oblivious uh, and to have that sacrifice with, for that is, is amazing. It just compels you to, and, and opens our heart to just like, wow, he's really, you did that for me. And you did that for humanity, right? Uh, yeah. it's, wow. It's really, it's really mind blowing. What, what are you finding people struggling with the most, like with this message, where, where do you find people stumble, um, have the hardest time grappling with? Hmm. Yeah, well, I, I think we've just been so inundated with a gospel that begins with separation. Um, and the the word Pharisee means separatist. And so we, we think, well, uh, there's insiders, there's outsiders. I, I think that um, we're so ingrained with a Western um, dualism is the big word for it, right? The uh, separation thinking God's over here. I'm over here. There's the natural, there's the supernatural, there's heaven, there's earth, and never the two shall meet. But the incarnation blows all that out of the water because God became flesh. And as we, as we just read there, not just flesh, but, but fallen flesh, right? Obviously, Jesus never sinned, but he became us in our condition and transformed it. And so um, w- once you see this, it's like you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Um, it, it changes everything. Uh, okay. So Colossians one, right? Paul says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. So we know God looks exactly like Jesus Christ through and through. Um, Jesus is not saving us from some dark side of God, some distant, angry father who doesn't look like Jesus, but to see Jesus is to see exactly what uh, the father looks like. Uh, but but we, we've, we've wrongly believed that God is distant, that he's sort of a narcissist who can't handle our sin. He's a legalist. And of, of course, it's OK for Jesus to look upon our sin because he's what? Not as holy as the father, so, which is to say he's not God, which is to say he's you're not a Christian. No, no, no. <laughs> the father is, was not running away from relationship. Sin caused us to pull away from relationship like, like Adam. We were hiding in the bushes, right? We were pulling away from intimacy and vulnerability and love. But the effect of sin on us was to cause us to run away. But the effect 
on God was to cause him to run directly towards us, to rescue us. I mean, even in that story in the garden, God's like, Adam, where are you? He's there to play. Now he knew where Adam was, but Adam forgot where Adam was, right? Adam thought there was a bush. Yeah. He thought there was a bush he could hide under where God wasn't at, right? He, he takes up, God takes up all the space, right? Separation was real to us, but it was delusion. Okay. It's not that God's over here and the universe is over there, right? He, he, all things are held together in him. So there you go. In Colossians one, you continue the next verse. It says for by him, all things were created things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible with the thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. And then what does Paul say? He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. So where are unbelievers held together in him? I mean, for crying out loud, where's the devil held together, right? All things are held together in him. That doesn't mean he is all things, that he is evil or he endorses all the bad, but all things are held together in him. All creation is in Jesus. So there's no separation. He's closer than the air we breathe. He's closer than we are to ourselves. Now, I know that this causes all sorts of questions to pop up, right? Because again, we've been so indoctrinated with separation thinking um, it, it just, it starts to blow the grid, but you, you continue to look, it's, it's, uh, it's in Ephesians one, all right. It says that he, uh, God placed all things under his feet, appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. He fills everything in every way. So what separation, you know, the, the illusion of it, it what it was, it was a lie. It was just the blindness to the love that's all around us. Mm-hmm. Teresa of Avila explained it like we're in a room full of light, but we've had sand thrown into our eyes. That's sin, right? But he's, he's always been here. And so what religion will try to do is, is we're, we're constantly trying to get into a room that we're already in. And it's a hamster wheel of trying to please a God who's already fully pleased with us. <laughs> Jesus, my camera. And, Keep going. Oh no, no worries. And, and so, um, and then with our ideas like repentance, we're, we're still that hamster in the wheel, and then we just turn around and start running the other way, and it's, it's just so. <laughs> it is. It's but, crazy. Uh, yeah. Then you end up into striving and all those things. So, yeah. Keep on going. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. But I, I, let me just add this one little thing, and then we could go where we want to go with this. But um, so the big question that people have is, is they're like, well, so you're, you're saying everybody is in Jesus. Well, how, how does that work? OK, well, how, how does the Apostle Paul preach the gospel to unbelievers, right, to, to pagans? Right. Acts 17, 28, he says to the pagans, he says, for in him we live and move and have our being, even as your own pagan poets have said, we are his offspring. So, so he's saying to non-Christians, to unbelievers, that they are in him, that they are his children, right? So it's not that our faith gets us into God. Everybody's in Jesus. Faith means waking up to that reality. And, and we've presented the gospel as this sort of invitation or this option or this possibility, but the gospel is a declaration of the truth. 
it, it, it is an exclamation, has an exclamation point on it, right? So union with God doesn't become real just because we believe it, right? Like, like gravity doesn't become real just because I believe it, right? If I step off a roof, uh, I'm not going to break the law of gravity. I'm going to illustrate it, right? So the facts are the facts, whether we believe it or not. And so faith is the realization that God's, uh, we've already been made at home in the love of God. So, um, Okay, final final approach, and let me land this thought. Um, we talk a lot about faith in Jesus. We are not saved by our faith, our belief in Jesus. We, we are saved by the faithfulness of Jesus himself. Now, right from the start, Paul says, you're, you didn't say you're saved by faith. You're saved by grace, which is a gift, right? Through faith, which is a lens. But even more so, all these verses that talk about faith in Jesus, well, uh, it's it's in Greek, it's pistis Christu. Um, scholars almost hands down over the past 60 to 80 years, even in the King James, uh, they say, no, we've mistranslated this. It's the faith of Jesus. It's his faithfulness. Oh and when we realize his faithfulness, that's the thing that gives life to our faith. And so that's why I often like to say, and I don't, I don't remember who who this quote originally came from. It gets thrown around a lot. It's a beautiful quote. Um, the gospel does not demand faith. The gospel supplies faith. It's in the hearing that you are loved in the hearing that you're forgiven. I mean, from the vantage point of the cross, even if you're going to look at a timeline that was 2000 years ago, all your sins are future sins, right? You've, right. you've been loved, accepted from the beginning, from the foundation of the world. And so our job is really to tell people they're already included, already loved. And, and that is the very thing that causes metanoia, repentance, which is, means change your mind. And then the actions begin to follow. But if we don't have our, our minds changed and we think God's against us and we're just trying to clean up our actions, we, we put the cart before the horse. People need to know that the old self is gone in Jesus. You're already accepted in him. You, you, you have been unconditionally loved. And, uh, and that makes all the difference. So it is so, and it gets us out of this place where we're, you know, do I have enough faith? And you, you get all that you can get to be so tormented because you, if it's based on us, we're screwed. Like it's, it's never enough. How do we know when it's enough? Right. Mm -hmm. But if it's based on him and we partake of it through this union, then we can rest. We can, you know, uh, recline, bear our weight back on him because actually he's actually the savior. <laughs> No, we don't have to save yeah. ourselves. Thank God. You know, yes. that's exhausting. We can have actual Sabbath. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't get that last part. Well, I said we can have actual Sabbath, right? Jesus. Yes. Yes. Finally, finally being able to rest, which is incredible. Do you find that this is a harder, um, harder thing for the Western church, the Western or Western evangelical church than say, because you do a lot of international travel, so how are you, are you finding differences where you're traveling with how people are, how easily people can, are, can grab a hold of this? I, I think it is harder uh, for the West because uh, you have to think our, like our Eastern brothers for the Orthodox, they, I mean, not necessarily like newer American zealot neophyte people joining the Orthodox church who just carry their evangelical mindset with them. But the older, like real Orthodox from the East, they, this, this is just like common knowledge that everybody's in, in God. And, they, and uh, they, the Orthodox never believed that Jesus was dying 
to pay off an angry legalistic father. And so they look at us and they're like, what, what on earth is this heresy? That like, I mean, This is the great heresy of the West, this idea of splitting Jesus apart from his father on the cross. I mean, he told the disciples, he says, uh, he says, when, he, when I go to the cross, he says, the father uh, is with me. It's, he's, he's there. Now, Jesus entered into our blindness to the, the love of the father when he quotes Psalm 22, right? My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? That's a question. It's not a statement. He's asking our question, why, when we feel forsaken by a God who doesn't forsake anybody. And, and that's not just uh, semantics. You, you read on through Psalm 22, and it gives everything that happened on the cross, the, the piercing of his hands, the dividing of his garments, the mocking, the mother is there, the I thirst is in there, the it is finished is in there. Um, and then in verse 24, it says, but he, he has, he, 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 he has not turned his back on the son, just to paraphrase it. The, the father, the father is in Christ reconciling the cosmos to himself, that the cross is a picture of the love of the entire Trinity. So we've sort of fabricated this non Christ like father. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's where the, the understanding of the Trinity is so important. I mean, the early church hammered on two things. Who is Jesus? Christology and the Trinity, the, 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 the father and son are of the same being three persons, one God. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I do think that, uh, this does cut against the grain of sort of a modern Western thing that the gospel has sort of morphed into and without getting into too many weeds here, it, it's really an old heresy. It was called Arianism back in the early church where they thought Jesus was not quite as high as the father. And he wasn't quite fully God. He was like God. And, um, and, and the whole Western church, and when I say Western, I mean like Europe, America, um, Europe was just, was just soaked in Arianism, like a tea bag. Okay. Like there were more Arians than there were Christians. Um, and so the barbarians who took over Rome, you know, from history class, you know, Rome was sacked or whatever. Those barbarians were actually Arian barbarians. They believed in Jesus, but not a Jesus who was fully God. Wow. And so this idea that Jesus is paying off some, you know, angry legalistic father, it's a gross misreading of what the Old Testament law was all about. It's um, it, it, it really forms this, you know, people give lip service to the Trinity, but really they believe in demon son and holy Bible, right? Like this angry father and um, and the the Eastern church, like the, the Orthodox, they're like, this is, that's crazy. They never believed that Jesus was dying to save you from God, that Jesus was dying to save you from himself. Right. So, so for them, the big things are, he died to save us from sin, which is the self-destruction of sin, not to pay off his ego that was, you know, teed off because we were sinning. No, but to save us from our own plunge into non-being, right? That's Athanasius, early church father. And he's dying to save us from death, right? Tramples death by death. Mm-hmm. And then the other big one is a big word we we don't hear much of here, but the Eastern church, this is like how we say salvation. They use the word theosis, which is divinization. He brought us into the divine family. Like we are sons and daughters of God. What does that even mean, right? Cats produce cats. Dogs produce dogs. Orange trees produce orange trees. What does God produce, right? Like this is this is crazy. Like, like uh, Athanasius and Irenaeus, they would say things like God became man, that man would become God. That he's this great exchange. 
of, of the, the connection of the, the, uh, the merging together of humanity and divinity, that we are partakers of the divine nature. That's the point of the cross. It was adoption. It wasn't about, you know, some shuffling of paperwork in heaven with a stamp that pretends like you're holy and God just will refuse to look at your sin. No, he, he healed us of sin. He transformed us. And so it's a different gospel. People say, well, that, that sounds like a different gospel. Absolutely. But it's actually the original one, right? <laughs> this goes way back to the early church. So, uh, yeah. So, so I would say, um, you know, basic answer to your question, it, you know, we've seen a lot of stuff in Russia really expand and just blow up in a, a good way, not like a World War III blow up Russia. But, but, but uh, just the Russians have just taken hold of this message. It's crazy. We'll go to these charismatic churches and they're just wild and, and just so many people showing up and getting hold of this stuff. And I think part of it is it goes back to their early Orthodox roots. And so when they hear this, it's like, oh, this makes sense. It's like, uh, so I, I do think that there is, the Eastern mentality gets this a little bit more. Here in the West, we logic chop and, and separate out and, you know, scholastic, God's there, we're here. And, and, and so uh, that's kind of something we, we're breaking out of, uh, hopefully. <laughs> I think we are. I think there, you know, so much with this uh, sort of deconstruction movement, however that is, as, as long as it's handled rightly, um, there's some good things to deconstruct. There are some things you don't want to deconstruct. Just hang on to Jesus. Hang on to Christ uh, as as it looks yeah. in form. Form, but uh, it seems like uh, there's such a such a movement because if we're seeing it wrongly, there's such bondage. It's such bondage, yes. and mm-hmm. uh, you know, God didn't. God, God did. God wants to free His kids, not put heavy loads on them. He's not a Pharisee, so. Yeah, that's amazing. One of the other things, uh, and this is particularly from your Mystical U- Union book, he talked a lot about uh, of us not having a sin nature, right? And uh, you know, we're we're one with Christ, so we're not we're not having our sin sin nature joined with a holy God. We are holy. We are as Christ. Jesus actually accomplished something on that cross, uh, and in terms of changing us and change, dealing with the sin issue. Um, and uh, that's so freeing uh, when we're coming from that place of victory. So we're able to walk out a life that, you know, is, 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 is increasingly free from all these pitfalls and uh, ways of being that are destructive. And I, th- I think that's a, that's a revolutionary concept for, especially the Western church, Western evangelical church, uh, where we're so freaking sin conscious and, you know, and that brings about your, also your, your book, uh, was it sex, beer, sex, wine? What is it? The one, uh, that challenges all these sin things that God is, I've read it, but I'm sorry, I'm forgetting. What's the name of it? Uh, money, sex, beer, God, money, yeah. sex, beer, God. this will be a liberating fun book. Uh, irreverent, appropriately irreverent. There's some things that we need to be irreverential towards because they're not, we need to be reverential towards God, but in terms of the things that God, he's not a killjoy uh, and pleasure is actually a real thing. We were actually born in in the garden of delight. So um, this might be a a value for God, but um, anyway, so that whole ability to walk uh, in that, in that truth allows us to be free and be who we are. And God is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. So totally. Yeah. 
And, and just so people know, the uh, the subtitle to that is a biblical companion to the happy life, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. but that, that, that's another another great example of separation thinking is, uh, and that's the other early church heresy that was is like really big. You had Arianism that said Jesus wasn't fully God. The other one was Gnosticism, and they said Jesus wasn't fully man. Because God couldn't be a become a dirty human being because the physical world is bad. And, and so we've inherited so much of that. And so any uh, like earthly pleasure is considered evil. And people literally think they have to kill their body like that, the flesh, the sarks. As, as, and, and, and so um, that's why I think we've had so much uh, perversion in these areas of um, you know, money, sex, beer, the, the, you know, I, I wrote the book to say, look, there, there are God given like pleasures and gifts. And um, A.W. Tozier said it like this. He's like, if, if your emotions or your pleasures or whatever, if they're not given the proper course, like a river, then they cut a perverted path. And so the thing is, if, if we can't rest in the, the goodness of our God given humanity, uh, it, it actually, we, we end up going further into weird idolatries and immoralities and stuff because we're not we're just not following the god-given blueprint the god-given function right i mean look at the old testament they i mean our jewish ancestors they had no they had no problem with money right they were loaded a lot of these guys abraham right uh, but 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 it's, it's not endorsing greed right we put first the kingdom these things will be added to us and so that you know it's the, like there's something in the prosperity message and yet there's also perversion in that um, you know, so all of these, Jesus t- turned, you know, his first miracle was not turning the water into grape juice, right? <laughs> no, no matter what a Baptist seminary may say, right? It's, it's like, uh, Jesus turns the water to wine. We've been trying to change it back ever since it, it, it's like, um, you, you know, so there's just, there's, there's, we, we forget how to be human, right? We're trying to run a spiritual life and we, we don't even run a spiritual race and we, we don't know how to be part of the human race sometimes, so, uh, yeah, the, the, that's just another way. And I'm glad you brought that up because it's another way that we have had this separation mentality really mess us up. Yeah. And it's like if you're trying to shove all these God given desires down in a way that that they're not intended, then then it's like it just ricochets back and, and goes and, and goes improperly. So so there's something of living a life in Thanksgiving and moderation and you know god's got no problem with love making just put a put a ring on it okay so there's just things things like this that um yeah we've we've so separated our spirituality our spiritual life i think it was eugene peterson he's like he doesn't like the term spiritual life or spirituality he's like there's no spiritual life there's just life jesus is our life and we miss him again in the ordinary in the mundane and it's just such a beautiful healthy holistic way to approach reality because we're not waiting till we get to the sweet by and by or go into the revival meeting, but he really is all in all. And he really is everywhere. And he's waking us up to that. Yeah. And that, that's the beauty. I think that's so much of the recurrent, like our, our position is to be the ones that are loved, adored and saved, but, but, uh, but is to waking up to the reality of what already is. And that's what's already yes. been accomplished you know, and, and yeah. how, how God cherishes our humanity. He became one, right? So, uh, he did, and that's such a value, but that looks like something that's healthy and whole. So everything that goes aberrant 
to what is healthy and whole or holy um, that's mm-hmm. being brought back, brought, brought back rightly. Um, and he, he, he does want us to enjoy our lives. He doesn't want us to be a little hedonist, but to have and enjoy life in abundance to the full till it overflows. That that's a that's a God glorifying thing. I mean, who wants? I mean, you know, if you if you've got someone who's who who is acting like an outsider, outsider, believes they're an outsider, and wanting to know, you know, is this Jesus thing something really that I want to do? Is this the real deal? Well, if you got a bunch of grumpy unhappy, miserable people. You can become miserable just like me. Well, I mean, that's just not good PR for the kingdom, you know, and it's not accurate PR for the kingdom. So yeah, right. we have a little branding problem, I think. Oh, totally. And, and I mean, the the, the rules just uh, compound, right? And then it's, uh, uh, you've got subsections and footnotes uh, on the rules and, and it's, uh, you know, again, I, that's that's the stuff I, I grew up in. You know, I was a, a very, you know, it was a very legalistic Pentecostal church, a church of God. Holiness is what it was called. And so, uh, you know, if pastor, you know, brother Benny's hair got too long where it was touching the bottom of his ear, the old ladies would gossip who obviously didn't wear makeup or, and, you know, had their hair in a bun and all <laughs> shaking the tambourines. And and it was like, you, you know, the rules just you, before long, you're, you're beyond Amish and you, you know, you can't, chew gum and you can't uh cross the sidewalk on Sundays and movie theaters and dancing and it's just and, and um and it's really a rejection of the goodness of creation and it's very non-incarnational and so again we um Jesus didn't just come to show us what God is like but to show us what real humanity is like and Jesus goes in he kicks up his feet he hangs out with his friends he knows how to feast he knows how to um weep right he, he knows how to be a real human and so um we've um yeah, we've, we've got a bit to learn in that, but the, the good thing is Holy Spirit is uh, helping us out here and Holy Spirit is catching us up on this good news. And so, and he's um, really good sometimes, you know, yeah, and I think people like us who are in, in ministry, it's like, sometimes you can get frustrated because you realize how far things have gone adrift and you feel like you're just uh, preaching to a wall sometimes, but, but you have to realize Holy Spirit's already in there waking people up to this. And in some weird way, Paul says, he says, you already know the truth. Now, clearly, they, the early church, I mean, in, in his day, they didn't have all their doctrine in order, right? Paul would preach the gospel. They got it then. And then the next conference speaker would come to town, right? And he's getting them back into the law again. But I think there's something of when we hear this truth, mm-hmm. it resonates within us like a tuning fork. Now we might reject it. We might vehemently reject it, but we can't deny it. And, and the gospel has a way of singing to the core of our DNA because we're made in his image and, and he's realigning us to that and, uh, and has realigned us to that in Jesus. And so um, I, I really do think that we have a lot of hope for humanity waking up to the truth. And so uh, I, I just, I just don't think that the gospel's a failure in that sense. I don't think God is going back to the drawing board and it's like, well, the cross didn't work. So I guess I'll just nuke them all or whatever. So <laughs> no, I mean God's a God's a happy camper and he wants happy kids, you know. And I, I and I, I think he's masterful at helping us get there. And I I, you know, I, I do I love what you were saying, but there's something inside us that resonates and we're kind of hopping up and down, right? And so depending on whether we squelch it or whether we're like, there's something to this, and I, I don't know how this it pans out, you know, in, in scripture or whatever. Um, but there's something to this. And, and I feel like that that's, that's Christ in you pay attention to that. 
because you'll be able to see it walked out. I, one of the things I love that you that you do throughout your ministry is that you, you take some of the hard, like the the scary scriptures, the hard scriptures, and you're like, let's look at this through Christ. Let's look at this through a God who who sacrifices for his creation out of love and becomes one with his creation and, and has all, always been one, but takes on their humanity. Let's look at that lens and then reread it, you know, and, and looking through that. And that's so huge. Do you have any suggestions for people who are like, I love this, like my spirit's going hopping up and down, but I'm really struggling with, you know, what about, I know these crazy wrath-filled scriptures or whatever, uh, how how should they handle it while they're just kind of growing and uh, maybe this is new or maybe they're good here, but this one is really bugging them. You know, how, how would you, what advice would you give to someone? Yeah, I, I would say, uh, you know, before you uh, toss one scripture out for another, because sometimes there's a very hope-filled, finished work-sounding scripture, and then there's one that sounds like uh, really harsh or whatever, and and we'll tend to throw one out or the other, right? So it's like, uh, it's like oh, I'm going to go for this and then ignore the judgment stuff, or it's like, oh, that's happy. That's, so that's kind of irrelevant. We really need to be afraid and, and hang on to the judgment stuff. But uh, one of my favorite writers, Robert Capon, he says, we need to be careful that we don't accidentally sweep some jewelry under the rug, right? Uh, We all approach the scriptures with a lens, right? With a perspective, with a theology. We may not like that word, but that just means our awareness of God, right? Everybody has one, like we have a nose on our face and you could have a happy theology or a crappy theology, right? But, but it part, that's part of that metanoia, the repentance, changing our mind. Theology is actually a form of repentance, right? And so um, as we see how good God is, as we see how glorious he is, right? It, it brings transformation. But our lens that we bring to the scripture, if we're bringing this sort of consensus bandwagon thing that we learned over the years, the separation thinking, the angry God thinking, if that's our lens, we're, that's how we're going to see everything. If Jesus is our lens then we're going to start seeing those scriptures differently. They're going to take on a different note. For instance, you might start to see the wrath of God in a different light. There's a difference between the wrath of an executioner and the wrath of a father. Mm -hmm. You might start to see things like judgment differently. There's a difference between retributive justice, right? Like I'm going to get you, sucker, like Mr. T, versus restorative justice, restorative judgment. Um, And so... Having Jesus as the lens is is so key, and we have to be careful when we're getting into the weeds of things that we don't um, that we don't start forming a God contraption in our head that doesn't look like Jesus. And this has to be the core of how we address Scripture. We have to remember the Bible is not the logos; it is not the Word of God. Jesus Christ is the Logos. He is the word of God. Now, the scriptures, they are Logoi. They are words of God. But it's only to the degree that they're reflecting Jesus that they are inspired. Otherwise, they're words out of context. I mean, there's been a lot of damage, a lot of wars done over the years with the Bible as as the, the backing agency. You know, Jesus said, if you believe Moses, you'd believe me. He wrote of me. 
Uh, he takes Moses and the prophets and the scriptures. He says, I- I'm fulfilling all this, right? He says, you study these words as if by this you gain eternal life. They all point to me, right? So a- as Jesus becomes our lens, it starts to help us to flesh these out and being patient and um, and digging is always good, right? Take- taking our time with these things. Um, you-, you know, I-, I-, I do think it is important that we deal with, with all these scriptures with integrity um, rather than just proof texting a couple things like uh, what about the sheep and the goats or what about, you know, eternal torment or just, you know, how does that work? Okay. Well, once we're looking at Jesus as the lens, it is going to frame these things out. And as we do study, we're going to realize, Oh, wait a second. Uh, These are questions that have been deeply expounded upon throughout the centuries, from the early church on. And there are ways of viewing scripture that are much more ancient than whatever's on Christian television in America today. Yes. And it's, it's, it is it is kind of wild that we, we know the names of the televangelists, but we don't know who Gregory of Nyssa or Athanasius or Maximus the Confessor and the guys who were like, well, that stuff's not relevant or, you know, there was no Christian before Martin Luther and just we have these crazy ideas, right? And these guys were so... Jesus centered and Jesus concentrated. And um, yeah, so (laughs) a lot we could say about that, I guess. Yes, there's a lot. I mean, that, you know, I, you got, you got to start and and keep on going and, and, you know, and I, I also love your emphasis on, you know, we can learn to be okay with mystery, to be okay with paradox. Like if we, if God is so puny that we can just really figure him out, he's a puny God. Like that's not a God worth following there's a God of mystery who's like bigger than everything. And, and, and then also paradox, like there are things that we can learn to hold intention and have that just be okay. Right. Because, because we've got one who, who loved us and gave himself up for us and is leading us and guiding us into all truth. So it's going to sort itself out in his goodness. Even if I can't get my little pea brain around it, it's okay. I don't have mm-hmm. to. That that me getting my brain around, around it or your brain around it is not what saves us, right? If we have to get our theological right. ducks in a row, we're going to be in deep doo doo. But you know, we just need to keep on looking at the person of Christ, and things will sort out as they need to. And then just be okay with, I haven't figured this out yet, and that's okay. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> right. And the mystics. Yeah, the mystics are great with that. It's it's not it's not that we have all the answers. The good news is that the answer has us. And speaking of things like uh, paradox or intimidation, there two things can be true at the same time, and that that doesn't mean there's just relativism where nothing is true. But to hold two truths in balance means that one cannot negate the other, even though they seem to be at odds. For instance. Paul, in all of his letters, just layers the reality that everybody is in Jesus. As in Adam, all die. So in Christ, all are made alive. Uh, And the book of John, all of John's letters, you know, Jesus Christ is the savior of the world, right? There's all this all verses, but then also you see these judgment passages and stuff. So so what do you do with that? And so um, there's a way to hold these in in intention, but that, that brings us to maybe a higher perspective than just this uh, dualistic way of, of seeing these as competing ideas. And a lot of people, they don't, they don't sit with scripture long enough and they don't sit in the presence of God <laughs> in such a way 
intentionally, we're always in the presence, but in, in an intentional way to just kind of lay our, our thoughts aside and, and really contemplation and, and learn silence and just being with him in such a way that we, we recognize his leading in our study more. We, we can't just be theological without being experiential, mystical, contemplative, right? Practice of the presence of God. The two are not at odds. And, um, and so, so many of things in scripture are, have, have intentional uh, double-sided sort of narratives. Like um, I, I've been digging in the book of Revelation now for a long time. And you see in Revelation, um, the lamb ascending to the throne, right? John sees this in the book of Revelation. Well, John is the same author who wrote the gospel of John. John, besides the women, the women are always there. Uh, John is the only male disciple who actually is standing at the foot of the cross. And he sees Jesus lifted up on the cross. What John is seeing in Revelation and in his gospel are the exact same thing. He's just seeing it from two different perspectives. One from earth at the foot of the cross, the other in heaven. The cross is the throne. Okay. The only God we have is the cruciform cross-shaped other giving lover Jesus Christ. That that is what God is through and through. He is grace top to bottom all the way through. No additives, no ice, no ginger ale. It is grace has to be drunk straight, right? Robert Capon. So so a lot of times these these things we see uh another good perspective in you know I, I know we'll probably have to land this in it but um in Revelation, you have um, uh, John in Revelation 12. He sees the, um, the, the woman giving birth. You remember the, the story that gives birth to the man child and the dragons there trying to gobble it up. Um, and then the woman is taken to the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and we tend to think there are two female figures in Revelation, the mother and the whore of Babylon. Mm-hmm. But in John or Revelation 17, where is John taken? He's taken to the wilderness and that's where he sees the whore of Babylon. Okay. It's not two different ladies. It's two different perspectives. And the whore of Babylon is not Rome. It's, it's, it's Jerusalem. Okay. It's all, all this temple imagery and John who knew the temple. Well, he's freaking out. He's like, Whoa. He's like, he sees that's, that's what's behind the mask. That's what's behind the religious posturing. It's not just sexual immorality. It's religious adultery. It's idolatry. It's, it's, it's religion. Right. And so, um, but then what do you see? You see eventually the, the, as, as the, the whore of Babylon is destroyed, as Babylon is destroyed. I mean, all throughout the old Testament, it's Israel, the people of God referred to as Babylon, right? It's, it's everywhere. If you have eyes to see it, it's the same lady. It's the people of God, but then you see the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven. And, and it's, it, it's almost this, I mean, replacement's not the right word, but it's, it's who we were. It's the old self gone and the new self coming down from heaven. Yeah. And not built up from the earth, not of our own strength, coming down. It's it's the true you. And it's not just Israel we're talking about here. I mean, the, the church has turned tricks on the corner you know, over the years, plenty of times, right? So it's it, you, you talk in this double nature, new self, old self, the mm-hmm. false and the true. And so when we start to see in this kind of perspective, it's not just some are sheep and others are goats. It's it's like he he takes the goat out of us and he he 
he, he, his sheep hear his voice, that, that, that gospel resonance in us starts to come alive. And so there's, um, I, with a lot of these scriptures, when we say there's mystery, I wouldn't want people to think, well, we just can't know anything. So why bother? It's yeah. that the mystery is almost like the wonder draws us in and we start to think outside the box a little bit. And, um, and, and really the illumination of the Holy spirit gives us a glimpse of Jesus that is so breathtaking that, and so inclusive and so loving. And then to know that that is the heart of the father and that I am woven right into this circle of unconditional love and unconditional grace that, um, that the fear melts away. Perfect love casts out fear. So we approach things, you know, uh, with, with a, a, um, a knowledge that we are loved. It's not so much that we love him, but that he first loved us. And there's no bottom to this love. And that helps us a lot in tackling some of the uh, hard say, quote, problem verses. Yeah. It does. And just dealing with life, you know, life is, man, it can knock the snot out of you. And, 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 you know, it's like, how, where's yeah. it caught in that? Right. And, and all of that. And so, yeah, that's so beautiful. Well, I, we could just keep on going, but, Unfortunately, we have to draw it to a close, but this has been so amazing. But I wanted to highlight some of the stuff you're doing. I know you're traveling. I'm very grateful that you squeezed me in in the midst of all your travels. Um, but you, you've got some online courses. You've got Kana New Line, uh, New Line Seminary, which I went through it was amazing. Um, you know, uh, sort of what are you wanting to highlight? You've got so much out there. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of stuff, and then thank you, thank you for having me on too. I it was I was glad to glad to fit this in. I'm glad it worked out. Yeah, I, I'm traveling a bit. Uh, we have events going on. People could find uh, our events and our courses and things. Uh, JohnCrowder.net. Uh, don't go to JohnCrowder.com. Uh, the guy who owns that has a disclaimer on there. Uh, I am not the religious fanatic you're looking for. <laughs> so it's JohnCrowder.net. But um, uh, one thing I would highlight, if any of these things we've talked about interest people, um, you know, we mentioned a couple books, the, the new, Myst- or, uh, I'm sorry, Mystical Union and uh, Cosmos Reborn. Mm-hmm. But we do have courses. Uh, we've got a whole course on Christology, you know, talking about the person of Jesus and, and the, uh, the early church history and how the early church just sort of came into this understanding from scripture of, of who Jesus is. Uh, so we've got a, a long kind of extended e-course introduction to Christology you could find. And uh, another thing maybe I would mention is, um, I guess we touched on Revelation a little bit. Uh, later this fall in November and December, uh, we're going to do a live course. It's going to be over six weeks, 12 sessions, but each session's probably going to be like a couple hours going through the book of Revelation. Because talking about the hard verses, you know, people think that there's this other Jesus in the book of Revelation, like the dark Jesus, right? The, the passive aggressive, he came as a meek, mild lamb, but when he comes back, he's opening up a can on us, right? But, but uh, it's the same Jesus, right? And the, the book of Revelation is not the unveiling of the Antichrist, it's the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And so um, seeing Revelation through a lens of grace to see that all the fiery stuff is the fire of his love, this all-consuming fire of love that burns up the wood, hay, and stubble so that the silver, gold, and precious stones of who we are are redeemed and restored. It is a very beautiful book when we drop some of our existing kind of, you know, um, 
I don't know, bandwagon lenses. And, uh, and, 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 and let me just say, I'm, I'm not going to like try to throw more random speculative ideas at the book of Revelation. It's just like, let's, let's just take from what's already there. The, the book of Revelation, uh, there's only 400 verses in it or so. It has over 500 references to the Old Testament. It's the most scriptural book in the New Testament. And when you start to see God's judgment as being restorative, that again, even his wrath is an extension of his love. It is for us. All of a sudden, you start seeing all these crazy, difficult Old Testament passages being subverted and thrown into a different light. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, man, I want to read the book of Micah again for crying out loud, because I see that that fire is the fire of God's love that is for his children. And it's not about good guys and bad guys. You know, Jesus doesn't come with a sword in his hand. The sword comes from his mouth. And it says it cuts down everybody. All of us are cut down on the cross. It is it's, it's such a beautiful book when you see it again through a Christological lens. So that's one. Uh, sorry to sound like a commercial, but I would definitely encourage people. If that's a book that gives you problems, you, you may want to check that out. So it's all at uh, johncrowder.net. We'll be going through that uh, live later this year. So That is really exciting. Well, is there a book project you're working on or um, amongst everything else that you're doing? I threw that at you. Oh man, I, I've got a few. I, I got a few ideas. Nothing, uh, nothing close that's to being awful. coming out of a hopper right now. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's so great. Well, it's been a joy. Thank you, thank you, and yeah. thank uh, you, I Catherine. Hope you come back on sometime again. Clearly, we had maybe one or two topics that were really uh, great to talk about, and there's just so much more of that. So, so thank you. And uh, where are you traveling? For sure. Appreciate- yeah, appreciate what you're doing and appreciate you having me on. And uh, yeah, traveling, uh, taking off in just a couple of days. Yeah, a little busy right now, then through, uh, through the end of the summer. And then, uh, yeah, then yeah. kicking off with the Revelation thing later this year. So. Yeah, we need to check that out. That is really exciting. Well, thank you, everybody. Share. Uh, someone is, re- this is going to set someone free and really get them on, on a course journey that's going to be such life. Thank you. Thank you, John. And thank you, everybody, for watching. Everybody have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Perspectives with Catherine Toon. For additional information and resources, please visit catherinetoon.com.